Welcome to the Payments Podium podcast hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey everybody, Payments Professor Kevin Olson here, and I want to welcome you all to the Payments Podium. Today we have a very special guest. He's been on before, but I want to welcome back Steve Ledford. Steve, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, Professor. Uh, How are you? (laughs) Well, I'm fabulous, but you know, I've heard there's been a major movement, a major change has taken place in payments. And it involves you directly. Would you would you please share with the listeners what this major change in payments is? <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a major change in payments, but I've decided to go ahead and after 41 years, uh, retire, uh, hanging up the spurs. So, <laughs> 41 years and you're retiring. Now, that is just amazing because for those listening, Steve is one of those that he has inspired a generation at least of payments professionals. I can name so many people that have learned from him, that look up to him, myself definitely included. So we have brought him on so we can celebrate Steve and we can celebrate his career and we can learn from one of the true payments masters. So Steve, here's my first question for you. What was your favorite part of your career? What was my favorite part of the career? I, well, I think it's something you just uh, referred to is helping bring along new folks into the business. Um, every once in a while, uh, a bunch of us, would be sitting around looking at each other where we are the new folks who are going to be taking over. And I'm just so happy to say that they keep coming. There's something about the payments bug that once you've been bitten, uh, you're, you're stuck. And so uh, I, I've just been it's been great uh, being able to work with new folks coming into the field um, and see what they've got. They're coming up with some really cool stuff. And uh, that's been the most gratifying part. You know, I got to agree. That is so much fun to see the new people coming in and to be able to work with them, to shape them, to guide them. So if, if you were to give them advice, the new people coming into payments today, the people who are starting to get bit by that bug, what would you tell them? This is what you should do. This is what you should focus on. Like, for example, let's say Steve Ledford retiring today was to go back and stop, talk to Steve Ledford, who started day one in payments. What, what, what advice would you have given him? Uh, 
the first thing would probably, what's going on with that hair of yours? But uh, no, <laughs> it's uh, uh, honestly, I, I would say whatever you do in payments, the first thing to think about is who's going to be making the payment and what's going to make it worthwhile for them to do something different. Because if there's any one if there's any one um, characteristic I've noticed of successful or the flip side of it, of unsuccessful uh, payment innovations, it's whether or not someone really thought about the end customer, who's going to be making the payment. Um, and if I, if, you know, I, I spent many years as a consultant and there were way too many times when someone said, I want you to tell me what the business case is for this particular new thing we want to do. And I'll say, okay, we're going to put together a business case and show what's worth it for you as well as for your customers and for anybody you have to partner with. And so I'm just interested in my business case. And my first thought was going to be, well, you're going to fail. And really you have to think about it that way. It's so easy to get really fascinated with the lines and the boxes and the widgets and the shiny technology. But when it comes right down to it, somebody's going to be making a payment and um, they probably didn't start out by just saying, I want to make a payment. They're trying to do something else. Keep that in mind and you'll be successful. And like that. So look at it from all angles, because I, too, been around for a little while, not as long as you yet. And <laughs> I have seen those products where people said this is going to solve a problem. And I had to tell them oh, it's only going to solve your problem, but it will create other problems for other people. So look at it from all angles. Look at how it can benefit everybody. I also say, too, you know, I'm going to mention a couple of bad words here. Rules and regulations. Look at the rules mm -hmm. and regulations. And when I bring that up, I know a, a friend of mine in the industry has said that that shouldn't stop you because sometimes we need to challenge the rules and regulations. So mm -hmm. what do you think about challenging rules and regulations? What do you think about challenging the industry? Well, I think that, uh, first of all, with something like payments, we're talking about money. And money is important to people. And so there are, there are always going to be rules. There are going to be regulations. And, and that's actually a good thing. Without that, people wouldn't trust payments. Don't think about, well, gee, if only I could uh, do this, uh, but the regulations don't let me. Think about it as being like, like a, a sport, a game. There are rules. What can you do to get something done? Um, and, and, and really, when it comes right down to it, uh, that could actually help spur you to do something that's a little bit better. Um, you know, I think in some ways, um, you know, regulation can make it tougher to get things done, but very few folks have the ability to, to, to really change that. Uh, I don't know a whole lot of folks who are payments folks in Congress, for example. And so we uh, look at the environment you have, and it's like any other aspect of the environment. Uh, you know, uh, what's the competition? What technologies are available? Those kinds of things. So look at it that way, and you're still going to be able to come up with a lot of really good stuff. And the one thing I hate is when folks use it as strictly an excuse not to do something. Um, think a little bit harder. I think you'll figure out there are ways of getting things done, uh, regardless of uh, what environment you're in. And I, uh, that is something I had to ask you that question because I've heard you give that type of comment before. And that is something that I think that especially this new generation in the industry overall needs to realize is, yes, there may be some regulations that stop us, but that doesn't mean we can't change them and move forward with things. Because if we hadn't, we'd have never got check 21. So oh, that, yes. I mean, that, that's a prime example. And 
You know, mentioning Check 21 brings up another question. With all the time you've been in the payments industry, I know there's been one of two things that had to have happened. You either saw something that took too long for it to finally happen, or there was something that you're like, why hasn't this ever happened? So looking back, mm -hmm. what, what would be the thing that you're like, it took too long for this to finally happen and we really needed it? Well, you know what? It's, uh, it's interesting. I, I would say that when you look at it in retrospect, most things that seem so obvious, why didn't they happen faster, didn't. You know, right now we look at it and pretty much all checks are cleared uh, as images. Mm -hmm. uh, the Check 21, um, if you remember, first of all, Check 21, all it did was say that you could create this brand new thing that was probably a, a real true kludge. You could take one piece of paper, take a picture of it, enter it into another piece of paper. That got things going. But I remember in the early days, uh, back in the, uh, the 2000s, folks were saying, this image exchange is a dud. Why isn't anybody using it? And then all of a sudden it did. These things take a while. Um, people think about debit cards today as being, well, obviously folks are going to use them. Uh, but uh, when you think about it, uh, I got my first debit card. Uh, luckily, I was living in Atlanta where they were experimenting a lot of times when I was 16 years old, which is about 150 years ago, I think. I'm not real good with the math. But, uh, but it didn't really become something that took off and started to displace other types of payments until the 90s. In fact, uh, sometimes when people say who was the most influential person in American payments, I'll say Bob Dole. Do you know why? Why? Bob Dole, because he did the first of the uh, commercials promoting the use of debit card for Visa. Uh, and uh, after he didn't win the presidential election in 96, he did a commercial where he went back to his hometown and everybody knew him. But to use a check at the point of sale, they still required half a dozen pieces of ID. It got the ball rolling. Then Kevin Bacon and a few others. And so the fact is that Anything that requires people to change is not going to happen overnight in most cases. Um, it takes a while because you're talking about human behavior. Now, things that happen behind the scenes, you can move much more quickly. Uh, but again, those are typically not going to be as transformative. And so, um, you know, think about check image exchange even. Um, it was something happening behind the scenes, maybe not as quickly. And then um, all of a sudden you started seeing ads on TV where banks were saying, hey, you don't have to go to the bank to cash your check. Um, right. And um, it, it, it got folks thinking differently about something as simple as I've got a check in the mail. What the heck do I do with it? Um, you know, I would say that online banking and uh, electronic bill pay took way longer. I mean, who really likes sitting down and writing checks, putting them in an envelope and mailing them? But it took, I mean, decades before that really took on uh, after the first experiments. And so these things can take a while. I don't know why they take a while, but they do. And I think that sometimes uh, people forget and think that it was always uh, this easy. It wasn't. And um, folks came up with good ideas, but the good ideas didn't happen overnight. Uh, and we need to figure out ways of moving things to market more quickly uh, because there's so much we can do but we're just really still just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we can do uh, to make chain payments easier, more electronic, more certain, um, just better. Well, you know, you mentioned three major milestones that have happened in your payments lifetime. 
uh, happened in my lifetime, I can at least say. I remember debit cards. I remember the first time I used it, I bought gas and I paid for it. And then I walked up to the counter and said, did that payment go through? Um, did everything work all right? Because <laughs> I was afraid to drive away until I knew that it had gone through. I, and check imaging. You know, these things that we're talking about, bill pay, people don't realize there was a time where you had to watch your mailbox to make sure you got your bills so you could pay them on time. And you even timed when you mailed them and everything. And I know some of that mm -hmm. still happens, but you couldn't just go online and make these payments. Well, something else I know that you've been a big part of that I've got to ask you about is when it comes to, let's say, the fathers of faster payments, you are mm -hmm. definitely one of those founding fathers of faster payments. What what can you tell us about what got the movement for things like RTP to actually happen? What what was it like? What was the catalyst that said this needs to start happening here in the U.S.? So pre 2017, when RTP yeah. launched, what were those backroom discussions like? What was it that you were seeing in the industry that said we need to do this because we've seen it happen with debit cards. We've seen it happen with checks. We've seen it happen with bill pay. And this is what's next. Good question. Uh, first of all, um, the first time I got involved with it was as a consultant to the Clearinghouse on a project called Project Compass, which is an industry-wide uh, effort led by the Clearinghouse. And it was one of these things, what can we imagine about payments in the future? It was a great project because it allowed you to really just say, if you could do anything, what would payments look like? say 20 or 30 years from now. And the idea was, let's just let our minds wander and go for, uh, run free. And came up with this notion of a, of a of, you know, payment systems. You could have this underlying capability that would be immediate and instant. And then you would build services on top of it and all of these kinds of things. Um, this report was published in 2011. Now, if you remember correctly, the banking industry was a little busy back in 2011, right after the whole financial uh, crisis. Uh, everybody was busy implementing Dodd-Frank. And so this did not exactly go to the top of the list. And folks are even saying, um, you know, why do we need this? Um, I, I will uh, say that, uh, you know, a few years later, there was this inquiry that went out from the Federal Reserve about the future of payments got folks thinking. Uh, at that point, uh, at the Clearinghouse, I was now working for the Clearinghouse, uh, our board said, hey, we keep hearing about this faster payment thing. Go do a study of it. Uh -huh. And one of the things I like is that we did a study. I was asked to take the lead on this study, and we spent about nine months working very hard, facts and figures and data and use cases and lots of pretty diagrams and things like that, research, market research. We came, put together a report that was about that thick. But when the board of directors got together, they said, we don't need to read the report. We just know this is where the future of payment is. This is what we need to do. Wait, so wait, wait. you put it. a three inch and thick report together, handed it to them and they didn't even read it. They just knew it needed to happen. Well, some of them probably did read it or had their staffs do a briefing on it. However, there was, I mean, the fact was, it was fairly obvious. This was something, the, and by the way, it's closer to two inches than three inches. I don't <laughs> want to exaggerate, but, um, but um, yeah, and it was just go do it. And that really got the ball rolling. Uh, there was the Faster Payments Task Force, which also helped gen up a lot of interest and get a much broader community involved. Uh, but it was, once the idea was there, we need to do this things moved 
very, very quickly. And it was a sprint. Um, so fast, your uh, payments folks, moved quite fast. <laughs> exactly. Well, I remember the first plan that we came up with for how we could move forward to implement this. We came up with what I thought was a fairly ambitious schedule over about a three-year period. And I have to remember, this was now in about 2014 or so to, to really uh, decide what we wanted to do and then a few more years to implement. And our board again said, not fast enough, get going quicker. And we brought together a bunch of folks, experts in the industry, and over about a three-month period, we met every two weeks, uh, basically locked ourselves in this room uh, for a few days and came up with the concept of how we would implement this. And then we went to contracting and then started moving forward. But uh, the fact is, once you get a ball like this rolling, it gets some momentum behind it and folks start thinking of things to do. The other thing is that... Um, and you've heard me say this many times, we were just um, maybe a little naive, maybe just it was, it was hard to imagine the kinds of things folks would do with it. The use cases that we had built into that big, thick report, they were good use cases. They were probably the obvious ones. And we were surprised when we saw how folks were actually starting to use it, uh, what was actually going to market. Uh, I mean, things like instant payroll didn't even exist. I mean, what a ludicrous idea. You could work and get paid that immediate, uh, immediately that day. Nobody's doing that. Well, that's actually one of the bigger use cases right now. Um, no one knew how big like uh, digital wallets would be, things like that. It's just like the fact is we as payments geeks, we know how to make the payments work. There are folks who are in different industries, uh, different verticals, coming up with really cool idea for consumer business products. They know what the needs are. We just need to make it where uh, they can implement them, give them, uh, give them the opportunity to do it. Uh, but that was the great thing about it is once it really started catching on and getting some momentum in the real world, folks started thinking about how they could use it. And that's been, that's been gratifying as well. Uh, I've learned more about American commerce of the last few years than I could have going to, uh, to you know, any business school in the world because you just hear about how things really do get done. This podcast is brought to you by the VSoft Corporation. VSoft offers core processing, digital banking, and payment processing solutions for financial institutions of all sizes. Follow us on Twitter at VSoft underscore corp and online at vsoftcorp.com. Okay, back to the show. So, okay, I got to tell you, I know um, people have seen um, the Payments Professor videos, my son, Liam, he's aged a little bit since then, but I tell him things like about the origins of debit cards and check images. And he's like, that's not true, dad. And I tell him, you know, I can tell him now that getting paid once you're done with a shift or at the end of the day, which he thinks, why isn't that normal? you know, is, is brand new and he, he's not going to believe me. So I'm going to have to make him listen to this, but you mentioned surprises and I get the instant payment being a surprise. You mentioned learning a lot about American commerce. What else has just been, wow, we didn't see that coming. That's, that was really surprising to be a use case or, or a demand that people had in maybe not just directly in the payments industry, but out in the world of where they wanted to be able to have an instant payment solution. Yeah, well, one of the things that surprised me is how much time, it, well, how many times people move money from one of their accounts to the other, you know, uh, and, and I think that this is actually something that uh, could 
uh, unless people really get it, it could hinder the way they look at things going forward. Um, you know, honestly, we had kind of assumed that there was a group of folks who had multiple accounts at banks in various other places and would occasionally want to move money from one to the other. There's a whole lot of people who do, and they do it a lot. And failing to recognize, like, so, um, you know, uh, Mr. Professor, where do you bank? You probably can't answer that with just one word. Um, <laughs> most people can't. And then they have other money in other places, a digital wallet here. And do you know what? Um, folks don't want it to always just stay in the same place. What, one of the things that was fascinating with the stimulus checks that came out, uh, when was that, last year, the year before, I guess, um, was immediately after the stimulus uh, you know, payments came out, the checks, the ACH transactions, we would see a flurry of activity on some of the me-to-me -me, uh, payment platforms. Folks saying, I got the money here. This is where my taxes went last year. This is where the payment went. But I want to move it into this savings vehicle over here or my brokerage account or uh, you know, this, you know, a lot of different places. But they got it and then they moved it. And that was a surprise, too. And it makes you think differently, not just about payment, but about financial services in uh, general. The whole idea that um, I, as a financial service provider, should expect my customers will just be working with me probably isn't going to reflect reality for a whole lot of your customers any more than um, I remember when we first started talking about faster payments and people, this would be at a big conference. You've been to the big banking conferences and mm -hmm. everybody out there and you get a question saying, well, as long as people know the money is coming, why do they need to get it so quickly? I mean, isn't, you know, you can do a transfer. It takes a couple of days, no big deal. And my answer to that would be, okay, everyone out there in the audience, raise your hand. If you check your ATM, your, your balance on your ATM before you make a withdrawal, nobody would raise their hand. These were, these were folks, they had good jobs, they were bankers, they understood how money moved. They, of course, know what they had. I said, check and see how many of your customers do that. It's going to be a heck of a lot of them mm -hmm. because most people, uh, they need that money. They need it more quickly. And I think we've seen since in the research that shows that, you know, people, you know, a surprisingly large number of folks, if they had a $400 expense, uh, that would cause them a lot of problems. And so that's why, as you mentioned, Liam was wondering about, well, yeah, of course, why would you not be paid the day you work? Um, it's, it's just, uh, I think the customers have expectations that are way beyond. It's not just what do customers want. It's what do they actually expect and what are they surprised when you can't deliver? That's going to be a very fertile ground for a long time. And, uh, and I think we're seeing that. So what do they expect and what can you actually deliver? What are their expectations? I really believe that's huge for the future of payments without a doubt. And you're right. I can't name just one financial institution. And one of the things where I've seen a, a need is it's not just between financial institutions on me to me. I've told a story here recently of I wanted to make an investment. I wanted to buy some stocks. And the particular account that I had tied to my particular <laughs> bank account well, I didn't have money in that bank account. So I had to transfer mm -hmm. from one bank to another bank to transfer to an investment account. By the time I did it, let's just say I didn't make the money I should have made off of the yeah. stock investment I was prepared to take. And it was very frustrating. 
And with now with yeah, things like RTP, was gone by the time you did that, right? Oh, it was gone, and it was like, oh, it, 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 it had gone up and back down, and it's like, ah, oh, it, it was really frustrating. Oh yeah. Now here's the thing. Let's pull out the crystal ball of the future of payments. What do you see is going to happen? Because we've got Fed now coming out. We've got RTP with strong momentum moving forward. What does mm-hmm. your crystal ball for the future of payments be look like? Because I know one thing: I don't see it being faster. I, we can't get faster than what we've already got. Yeah. But what what does yeah. the future? What's next in payments? Okay. First of all, uh, as I just told you a few minutes ago, I don't have a great track record figuring out what the future looks like. You know, <laughs> and so, uh, uh, but I do think it will be. Um, we're going to continue to move more and more in the direction of it being easier even something that's just incidental to what you want to do you don't necessarily have to think about making a payment so in the situation where you were just talking about about wanting to invest in a stock you wouldn't have had to have gone through all those gyrations uh, you know um I, I do believe that the idea of embedded payments is going to continue to be important and finding ways of facilitating that are, are going to be important i think that um one of the things people always talk about is, you know, we have such a fragmentation of payments. There are just so many ways of making payments and they talk about it as being a problem. When I hear about so many different ways of making payments, my response is great. That's choice. You know, whoever is either building the products or choosing how they want to do it, they have lots of different ways that they can do it. And let's not think about it from the infrastructure out point of view, think about it as if there are different things that are being offered, you want to have those choices, but you got to make the choices easier. So I I don't think we're going to see less fragmentation. In fact, I hope we see more because that means more folks are doing different things. Uh, But we got to make sure it's done in a way that makes it easy. And so those are some of the things Um, I think we'll find that it'll become much easier to do those things that are still a little bit tricky. Um, I like to tell folks that I've been working on B2B payments uh, in earnest since 1984, and we've always been two years away from getting it figured out. Um, I, I do think we will more and more. I'm, I'm seeing some really fantastic work being done uh, by folks in B2B payments. I, re- I think we're going to start seeing that uh, really start to pay off in the future. And one of the big differences is people aren't thinking anymore about just B2B payments. They're thinking about, B2B payments for the logistics industry, for the home building industry, for this. And that kind of tailoring for the end solutions, taking advantage of this abundant choice we're now providing in payments, I think that's going to be another trend is we'll we'll finally start to make some real progress on B2B, but it'll be because of very targeted solutions, as opposed to saying, if everybody would just do payments the way I want them to, uh, we could simplify it. Well, of course you could, but that's not the, what folks are going to do. And that's, you're not going to get every industry in the world to do that or every person in the world to do it that way. You know, there's going to be multiple ways of uh, getting payments done. That's a great thing. Well, you know, too, one of the things that is at the core of RTP and it's at the core of all payments is the format that supports it is the messaging system because everything's a messaging and instruction system of some sort. And at the core of RTP is ISO 20022. Does that 
format make it to where suddenly we go from two years to solving for B2B to we're two months away now because we've got a better, stronger format to be able to support it? Well, I, I think it is a better format. Uh, it's the first format for payments that was developed in the internet age, and it uses uh, approaches that are very familiar to folks who are used to dealing with web-based services. And so it's, it's stronger in that way. But it's not so much even the format itself, but what it allows you to do. It allows you to bring in external information, uh, which is very important because you can't expect everybody to want to use the same information the same way. So mm-hmm. trying to just say, well, we've got a we've got a field for that, and now we need another field for that. You're always going to be trying to catch up. What you need to be able to do is take advantage of the ways folks are already ex- exchanging information, but then link it in with the whole payment process so it works together. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the benefits is like any other type of web-oriented or web-native kind of service, uh, it allows you to link information, not just rely on the information that's sitting there in the message. And that's that is a that's a capability we're just now going to be starting to tap. I think there's going to be great promise there. And, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, people keep saying, well, gee, how are we going to get the industry to move to ISO 2022? It's a big deal in the wire transfer. And yes, there are infrastructure changes doing that. The thing to remember is most end users aren't going to need to do that. The information is going to be provided to them, maybe through channels that they already use or for new applications. That's really the geeky part in the middle. Now, I like geeky stuff, and it's a great geeky uh, tool, uh, but it's not like everybody in the world has to learn ISO 2022. The folks who are providing the services need to do it, and then the rest should be made as easy as possible from there on out. I, I got to agree. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. You know, something else I got to ask you is I know you could probably blindfolded and asleep drive from your house to the Atlanta airport and, and <laughs> probably know, you know, based on which airline you're flying, know exactly what gate to even go to for based on where it's going to go to because you've had so many trips over the years. But where's your next travel going to take you to? Because we know it's not going to be, you know, it shouldn't be work related. I hope not. But what's, what's your next travel look like? What's that going to be for you? Where, where would you go now that it's not to work? Well, uh, the the next big trip we have planned is not going to involve, a, <laughs> it's not going to involve an airplane at all. Uh, I could draw a map of the Atlanta airport for you if you'd really like. And by the way, the choice of airline is pretty simple when you're flying out of Atlanta. But um, uh, I, uh, my wife and I are going to uh, get in the van, put our dog in the back, and we've rented a place up in the mountains. We're going to spend some time up there and get away. So that's going to be really nice. Oh, that sounds awesome. All right. Well, Steve, you've had an incredible career. I, I, I thank you so much for being on the Payments Podium. And you've, you've done so much to help us get information out there to people. Are there, though, any final thoughts that you want to leave everybody with as you sail into the mountains in the van with the dog in the back? <laughs> uh, what to think about for, hey, this is my advice to you uh, to really have a great career in payments. Well, first of all, I, I'd like to thank you for the service that you've been doing. Uh, I mean, the, the, the education the professor provides has really helped a whole lot of folks. And that's the kind of things we need, knowing how to actually do this and do it well, because 
as simple as payments look, it's more complex than that. And you need to make sure you understand it. So thanks to you. Uh, that's one bit of advice. Keep listening to the professor. But uh, the other bit is, is really sort of what we left, let off with. When you do anything in payments, think about that customer, the person making the payment first and go from there and you'll be a much better off and a much uh, bigger chance of success. And the second thing is enjoy it. Um, the payments business has been really, really good to me. Uh, like I say, I got the bug early on, never shook it, never wanted to, because I can think of very few uh, fields that are more personally rewarding than, uh, than working in the payments business. So all of you out there, um, really, uh, I just hope you in, have as enjoyable and enriching a, a, a career in payments as I have. Well, Steve, thank you so much for being on. And everybody out there, I could not agree with Steve even more. Have fun with it. Enjoy what you're doing. We're where the money moves, that's for sure. And that makes it a lot more fun. But always look at it from all the different angles. Now, if there is a speaker, if there's a topic or somebody you think should be on the payments podium, please feel free to email me, kevin at paymentsprofessor.com. And I will do all I can to make sure that that topic gets addressed or that speaker gets on here so that they can share their ideas, their views on what we can do to make electronic payments better for everybody. But for now, class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson. See you on Thursday.